This is the JWN Podcast. Jason Eisenberg grew up in Charleston, South Carolina at a time when tattooing was still illegal. It wasn't until 2006 that the ban on tattooing was lifted in the southern state, but by that time, Jason had already mastered the craft. Today, he runs Holy City Tattooing Collective, which is one of the most respected tattoo shops in the South. He took some time out of his busy schedule to talk to me about skating, tattoos, and running a successful business as a creative. Here's my conversation with Jason Eisenberg. Let's get to the bottom of what got you into this in the first place, because That's I think a lot, yeah, a lot of people, uh, I spoke to Marcus, who was who was on this podcast before. Um, I, I didn't even know that at one time he was a apprenticing to become a tattoo artist was yeah years ago yeah it's it's definitely a path that a lot of people who get into art at a young age go like okay what can i do with this and tattooing while it's an extremely different art form than say painting or anything like that they all tie into each other in a certain in its infancy at a certain level they do remember tattooing because you're dealing with um, literally a finite skill set. It's a craft. It's a trade. It's not an art form. Um, it can be an art form, but in its core, it's it's a technical trade because you're working with tools. There are rules set forth by the medium that cannot be uh, ignored or worse, manipulated. Uh, they, they have disastrous results. Um, also, there's so much more that goes with tattooing other than just being able to apply a tattoo. There's Understanding machine dynamics, understanding pigments, how the pigments work in the skin, how needles affect skin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, but yeah, you are definitely, uh, you're definitely correct in your assumption. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's different. <laughs> well, what, where did you start? Like, as far as what was the inspiration to get into art? Was it getting into art first, or were you more interested in the idea of tattooing as a craft? Well, my, uh, my first uh, artistic hero is my older brother. Uh, he's he was a working artist. He still is a working artist. I guess the best way to put it, he's still with us. Um, when I was a child, I looked up to him. Uh, he exposed me to punk rock, exposed me to skateboarding, and he's ten years older than me, so you know he was the be all end all. And uh, with tattooing, I didn't get exposed to tattooing until I was a teenager. So for me, art was always. Uh, affiliated with or associated with my older brother and I wanted to be like him and apparently I could sit down and draw things so it worked out pretty well excellent excellent so at a, so when you're a teenager you got into skateboarding oh yes that there's definitely a cultural uh, connection between skateboarding people get into like cars people get into street art and then tattooing is 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 kind of fits right in there as well well Kind of. Um, dig this. We're close to the same age without giving out too much information to anyone who might ever read this or listen to this. <laughs> uh, in South Carolina, because I grew up here in Miami, Florida, but mostly here, tattooing is illegal. So skateboarding led to punk rock. And punk rock then led to the exposure to things like the odd tattoo you'd see on the inside of a jacket cover where you'd go to, or an album cover jacket, which younger people probably have no idea what that is. Um, or you'd go to a show somewhere, you'd travel, and you'd see heavily tattooed people. And that was that 
that was that one taboo thing that like, oh, you don't get to see that very often. So when when you when you do see it, it's like when you're when you're a little older and you try and catch a glimpse of the pretty girl with your sunglasses on out of the corner of your eye, you don't want to look too obvious. It was the same thing. It was that unattainable because first of all, you're too young. Second of all, you couldn't just go down the street and get it. And thirdly, if you're me, to quote my mother, nice Jewish boys don't have tattoos. Yeah, that's that's you have a total cultural thing to <laughs> overcome on top of all this. Yeah. Yeah. So with with that, my first exposure, my first exposure, not seeing people on motorcycles that knew my step my stepdad, my first exposure was punk rock through skateboarding. So yeah. Yeah. That's skateboard awesome. changed my life. Everybody said it. I can say it too. I mean, there was there was a time when skateboarding was like still so underground that people would pass like videotapes of other skaters. They would pass around kind of like old school prank phone call tapes and things like that. Videos of, of skateboarding got around the same way. I don't know if it happened down here, but I remember in New York seeing all these bootleg skateboard videos. Well, the only thing you had really skateboard wise was you had um, Stacey Peralta putting out public domain, future primitive, animal chin, things like that. But again, those cost money. And if you were a skater in the 80s in South Carolina, in our circle, you were probably from a less than affluent home. So spending $30 on a videotape, you, you might as well, that thing might as well have been made of diamonds. It was just not going to happen. So you did rely on copies or you relied on people lending you things or showing up at somebody's house or on the odd chance that the skate shop would have it playing, you would stand there for hours inside the skate shop just watching the video. Uh, what we did see was a lot of local videos like Savannah Slama uh, in 86 was the first Savannah Slama. And there was a video made. And we had uh, a contest at the Gilliard in 86. And Bill Danforth was there. Peanut Brown was there. And videos were made. And uh, and that's that's what you saw. Or you'd go see the Georgetown ramp or the roster ramp. You'd find videos of that. Or you'd be there. Or you'd be able to find out there's a pro in town like... When the Gilliard contest happened, Peanut Brown, somebody said that I knew where to get to the roster ramp. So we went over to Chris and Kevin's house. I told their mom, hey, this is a professional skateboarder. We'd like to skate the ramp. Chris and Kevin wouldn't mind, would they? And she's like, I don't think they would care. And he skated it, and I got to watch it, and they videoed it. And it was just really neat. But yeah, it was, uh, it was an underground scene. And around 87, you started seeing the very first, very first printing uh, of Santa Cruz's most popular sticker ever, even more popular than the Screaming Hand, according to Jim Phillips. And that was the very first skateboarding is not a crime sticker. Heck yeah. And then, not that uh, I got skateboards or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's pretty interesting too, to see when you started getting Transworld Skateboarding and Thrasher magazines. Um, you're getting Transworld still images of these amazing like big air things. And you're like, holy cow, how is that even possible? That you never saw landed, so you don't know if it was real. Exactly. You don't know what kind of angle the photographer was at. <laughs> These guys looked like they were going up 30 feet. Um, Correct. But they, they uh, by seeing those videos, um, yeah. when, they started, uh, when they started circulating, it was amazing because you could see the skill level of the skateboarders in the community start increasing like oh i didn't know who who would have thought to try to ollie uh, onto a picnic table 
who would have thought to try to, you know, all the kind of stuff that you, you see these people doing these amazing feats and you're like, well, I can do that. (laughs) Yep. And and I, I feel like that correlates a lot into tattooing and the art form of tattooing. I was thinking about this this morning, um, was, you know, as much as we want to hate on things like Pinterest or Instagram, I I would have to imagine that the proliferation, here's me not being able to speak, of so much (laughs) artwork, though, of so much tattoo art um, has led to other tattoo artists looking at it and going, oh, that's interesting, and and dissecting how they got something done and, and, and then just making more and more people able to figure it out or not figure it out, but seek out a, 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 you know, it's kind of pushing the the art form forward, hopefully in the right direction, because as you said earlier, there's a craft here. So trying to make something look pretty because it looks pretty when it's fresh, doesn't always work out to someone's uh, benefit later on in life. Correct. You know, so that being, that being said, um, you brought up the social media and the Pinterest and everything else. Uh, when I was younger, um, the struggling that we had to do, whether it was trying to learn how to skate properly or trying to, uh, learn how to do a, you know, a better tattoo or shit, I don't know, learn how to do fucking algebra. I don't know. There, there's an advantage that is gained through social media that, uh, our generation did not have. So with that said, I find less uh, I find less patience for failure. Yeah. And the reason I say less patience for failure, I'm not saying like I'm some perfectionist like the evil dojo guy from fucking uh, Karate Kid. But what I mean is the information that is out there is infinitely greater than what we had growing up. So where we would have had to struggle in some way, shape, or form, there isn't as much struggling. So I, I think that's one reason why we see, uh, oh, for lack of a better term, such amazing talent when we're looking for inspiration, whether it's on Pinterest or Instagram, or just looking to be odd, just odd or wowed. And I think that's one of the things I love about the younger generation is where our generation might have been told you can't do that or you shouldn't do that or there's no future in that. These kids are pretty much figuring out what their future is going to be on their own yeah, because of what they're exposed to or what they have access to. And I think it's great. I, I really do. Um, I love seeing where tattooing is going. Hell, I love seeing where skateboarding is going. It's, uh, <laughs> I saw, it's I saw Tony Hawk post, uh, this picture of these kids with these handmade, um, he posted it on like Instagram this morning of these kids in some, in some weird country. Yeah. Yeah. With these handmade yeah. skateboards, barefoot, yep pulling off yep. like really awesome considering what they're using. Like you're like, Holy cow, they're doing these flips and things like that. And you're like, how <laughs> it's like, so, it looks like okay. Flintstone versions of skateboards. Well, so that it's funny you bring that up. So I was talking to somebody recently and they brought Tony Hawk up. And when we were growing up, you were either, you're one of three things. You were either a good kid that rode a Powell Peralta skateboard with a nose bone rails and a tail, tail, tailbone and a, a lapper. So nothing got damaged. And you had a beautiful board that if it got a chip on it, you got upset and you did your homework and you drank your milk and you listened to your parents. Aww. Or you wrote a vision and you were an okay kid 
Or you were a bad kid like us and you rode Alva's brand X or whatever you could find that was in one piece. You smoked pot, you listened to punk rock, you thought reggae was the greatest thing ever. You wanted dreadlocks and you thought about life outside of home. Now, again, I'm sure some people are going to scratch their head at that. But if you didn't grow up in the 80s, you don't understand it. Because by the time the 90s rolled around, that was dead. It was gone. Yeah. The mystique was toast. Because the industry had grown so much between the release of the Sims British flag in 1981 to when every skateboard was eight and a quarter by 30 inches and had the exact same shape. And the only thing that separated it was graphics. Yeah. Had changed and grown so much that it went from that subculture, that underground, that that gateway to the cool life after dark, as it was once referred to by, by someone I know, to the X Games. Yeah. To the Fortune 500. Video games. And to me, at that point, that's when skateboarding ceased to, to exist. To me, not to some other kid that discovered his first taste of freedom on a zero, a black and white zero with you know, little tiny wheels and eight and a half, whatever. doesn't matter. To me, that world was over. It doesn't mean that it didn't exist. It just meant that what got me doing tattoos, pacing around my house, talking to you, ceased to be. Right. And to me, that's kind of sad. But there's also there's an age thing, too, because you're also getting to a certain age where you there are people, obviously, who get to our age still skateboarding. And it, it honestly, the, the toll it takes on their body is kind of is kind of rough for a lot who of them. Who are you talking to? You've seen videos of me skating. What you didn't see is later that night sitting there with ice on my <laughs> knee because it hurt. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, there's a certain thing, too, like you get to certain things that you're into. Like I played in, in punk bands and then there was a certain point where I said, I have a choice in front of me. I can try to do this for the rest of my life, the way I'm doing it, or, or I can leave it for the kids and just move along and buy their records, you know, when they, and support them as they're coming up. And it doesn't mean that either path is the right path or wrong path, but I, it might've been also, you're starting to lose the, you're starting to grow up and you're like, all the stuff that I got into this for no longer exists. So why would I bother? You know, I, I kind of get that. No, I, I, I get it. And then, then you have that aspect of everything else that goes along with it. That is a young man's sport. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being the age I am right now. And I know people that still do this and there's nothing wrong with it for them. But I couldn't imagine being that guy at 47 years old at a show at 1.59, a minute before the bar is closing, and I'm smoking a cigarette, drinking a drink, talking to a girl that's half my age, thinking to myself, she's totally into me. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. she's thinking, I wonder if this person knows my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or I wonder if this guy can score me something. Like, what no, can I get out of this guy? <laughs> but think about this, though. At half our age, we'd be the ones asking them if they could score something for us. Because anybody that might have something that we could quote-unquote score is going to think we're cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this person's going to have a heart attack if they try and cop something for me. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's funny how 
we don't necessarily become our parents, but we can definitely appreciate things our parents did. Oh, yeah. And when we thought they were old and you get to that age and you're like, they weren't that old then, but God, wow. I really thought they were old then. Holy cow. Well, How did these kids but, see me? But, 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 but I need to point something out. The difference between us and our parents at this age is we still have a very strong connection to our youth. They do. They did not. Yeah. And that, that's a fact. It is a lot easier for people our age now to get on their phone and open it up and go, man, I wonder if I could go find a reissue of that Tony Hawk my parents got me in 1988 that I never rode at heart aggressively or anything else. And it's the only skateboard I ever had, but boy, it was fun. And then I went to college and joined a frat or some shit like that. But the, the fact is, it's easy for anybody of a certain age to be able to just reconnect with their past immediately via social media. Oh, yeah. Book, Instagram, you know, I mean, how many friends did you reconnect with that you thought didn't exist anymore? You forgot. Later, <laughs> later to find out you wish that they would go back to not existing. Yes. But, I mean, it's, it's just the past is not so much the past anymore as much as it's inconveniently in the present. Right. Well, we have nostalgia in our pocket and it's unfortunately, oh, it's not. Where to put it. Yeah. And it, it's not, it's not, um, it's Healthy. not, it's not as <laughs> nostalgic. When you have no, access to it, you don't, available. There, there's something about, uh, so when I was younger uh, and playing in the music years, the one thing I, I kind of regret as an older person, but at the same time don't, is I didn't carry a camera. So I don't have, uh, all I have are these you. memories that are uh, burned in my head. Yeah, but that's just it. They're yours. And unlike everybody who's got, like we have a, we had a, a, a young lady named Heather and, uh, she was the archivist. She had a camera. She had a couple of cameras and she had thousands of photos. And when we all got on social media, she started posting them mm. and posting and posting them. And unfortunately, when someone would die, she would post dozens of photos of that person. And when a next person would die and it became, it became almost painful when you'd see those photos because someone would die, someone you hadn't thought about in decades. And you remembered them primarily from that, era and then you start to see photos of them later on because you hadn't connected with them and you see the photos from when you were a kid and that's how you want to remember them and somebody puts a photo up from a few years prior when they were uh unhealthy or they were experiencing some some strife and it just it's not what you want to remember especially given that a lot of those friends i hadn't interacted with since i was a teenager in my early 20s yeah so you you hold on to those memories, and unfortunately, they're tarnished by reality, for lack of a better term. I hate I hate saying it like that, but again, I mean, I don't look like the same little angry punk rocker I was when I was a teenager, but I like to think that I look better than I could. Yeah, well, and it, it's <laughs> it is alarming when you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time, and you you. You almost it's it's almost a reminder of your own mortality because you're like, yeah, oh, that guy got old, and then you're like, wait, he's the same age as me. Yeah, <laughs> I got old too. Damn it. Well, no, 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 no. You can get older. You didn't get old. You yeah. can get older. To quote my friend Todd, you're allowed to get older. You're just not allowed to get old. And that that was one of the the things that I mean, he's a couple of years younger, but it's one of the wisest things I've ever heard. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, yeah. I'm getting older, but I'll tell you what I I've been working hard at like hacking the age thing to try to not feel older because 
that shit sucks. <laughs> you know, that realization that like your body doesn't do what it used to do. That's a hard exactly. thing. The brain, the brain tells the body to do something and the body says, have you not been paying attention? <laughs> yeah. That's why, that's why a lot of these. <laughs> Remember all the things that we years ago that people said, you're going to regret that. Yeah. Time to regret that. But it's nice to yep. it's nice to to make the little changes in life where you know I can't do this anymore. Where can I shoot off? So like you know uh, uh, somebody who's a sprinter in college they can't hold <laughs> up they can't do that when they're fifty years old. But they can do they can run a marathon. They can do a long distance slowly. Um, so you just you find those little adjustments in life where you're like okay well I can't do kickflips and things like that. But you know what I can do is I can maybe. Uh, design uh, a new truck, for, you know, on a CNC machine, have it made and like do something like involved in the thing that yeah. you like to do. And I don't do kicks. I'm happy to just be able to push down the street and carve. Oh yeah. You see those big old <laughs> skateboards they got now that just they're <laughs> transportation vehicles. Now they're not meant for tricks. My daily rider is uh bill Danforth, uh, uh, American nomad. It looks like a board from 1991. Um, it's really comfortable. It's got great concave, good nose, good tail. My other board that I ride is a Caballero mini reissue and that's just fun. And then my cruiser is just that it's 34 and a half inches long, nine inches wide and has really soft wheels and squishy trucks. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, that's awesome. something in the room, but whatever. We don't talk about that. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> rewind a little bit back to getting into tattooing. Because at a certain point, you're skating around. It's illegal to tattoo in South Carolina, but you are living in two different areas. You're going through to Miami, I guess. Yeah, that was that was uh, when I was very little and after my parents split up. And then uh, when uh, my stepdad and mom decided to move, move us down to Florida for my, part of my 10th grade year. Uh, long story. But yeah, that was that was that. But the tattooing that I was doing... Uh, Initially, to start out was exactly what you think it was. I'm punk rock. I have a tape recorder. I'm going to rip it in half and get the motor out because I saw in an issue of Maximum Rock and Roll how to make a tattoo machine. So you had like a coat hanger and <laughs> <laughs> tattoo machine. It wasn't an abortion. <laughs> the tattoo would have been an abortion, but no, it was not an abortion. <laughs> I hope that didn't trigger anybody. Well, no, anyway. I'm saying you had to like craft like the handle of something, get yeah, like a bendable yeah. wire of some sort. Yeah, it was uh, engineering at its finest. So, all right, so you create you created your own tattoo kit. You had a car right. battery hooked up, <laughs> and Not some poor and some poor sucker who you said, "Don't worry, I know what I'm doing." It was uh, there were a bunch of us that did it. It was me. There was Andy Caps. There was Gabby. There was Johnny Rentiers or Johnny Punt. Yeah, we were all doing it. That's pretty great. <laughs> and uh, only two of us ended up being tattooists. All right. So you started out as what you guys lovingly call a scratcher. Is that is that the the proper term? Or back then it was even pre that? I wouldn't have even assigned the term scratcher to it. I would have just said punk kid. <laughs> punk kid with ambition. Um, yeah. <laughs> so at some point you had to go through the process you had to find a mentor yeah um i ended up uh leaving home obviously uh, doing what every kid does the minute they get a taste of freedom and booked um 
I moved to Miami, Florida, and I had already been a body piercer. And I uh, started working at Tattoos by Lou in 1995. I was 22 years old. And uh, essentially, wow, a friend of mine just sent me, oh, wow, that's so that's a little side note. This is such coincidence. A friend of mine just sent me a video of Curb Dogs from 1988. It's a, uh, wow, that's amazing. Um, it's a skate video from the 80s. Anyway, uh, that's how that's how little important skateboarding has in my life. Friends randomly send me uh, text of skateboarding stuff from the '80s while I'm doing an interview about skating from the '80s. Yes. Um, in '95, I moved to Miami, and uh, Tattoos by Lou needed a piercer, and I needed a job, so I got a job piercing at Tattoos by Lou. And very much like at my shop, if you work there, it's understood that at some point you want to do tattoos. So at Tattoos by Lou. No matter what you did, if you weren't a tattooist, it was understood that you wanted to be a tattooist. So, yeah. Wow. That's how it happened. And, uh, and coincidentally, my wife is uh, getting tattooed soon by one of the uh, more famous uh, family members of mine in that, in that uh, era. So she's going down to Miami uh, at the end of October, I think, and getting tattooed. That's, that's spectacular because it's... It's it's one of those things that there are people who will rush into it and think like I'm a great artist I'm going to become a tattoo uh, a tattooist and and I like your attitude about it going uh, basically shooting that down right right away saying it's a craft yeah. it's not yeah. it, I mean yes you you should be able to draw something if somebody asks you to do something um, but it's or knowing, if you wipe your pencil off the skin. <laughs> <laughs> which will probably happen quickly i imagine <laughs> oh yeah nothing gives a stencil better than blood and if you're not careful so hang on mochi i have a bulldog that just ran off with a stick and he thinks he's slick because he's not supposed to be eating him but uh the best example i can give is uh, my apprentice who's going to be if she's you little booger if she keeps doing what she's doing she's going to be a spectacular tattooist someday i but i agree He'll be the first one to tell you, having grown up, being a wonderfully gifted artist, having a fine arts degree, the moment you put needle to skin, you are humbled because it's nothing like anything you've ever done. And uh, the reality that goes along with it, the responsibility, because you cannot erase, you can't turn the machine over and erase it like a pencil. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress. But yeah, getting back to uh, what you said, Tattoos by Lou is where I started. And I was hazed and I was tormented and I was tortured, but I stuck with it, which is the whole point behind that. And I've always said that tattooing chooses you. You don't get to choose tattooing. And if you don't belong, tattooing will let you know. So, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You got to remember, we come from a generation of Judge Smells saying the world needs ditch diggers too. Yes. <laughs> well, it, and it's one of those weird things, uh, just the idea of hazing, especially back then. I, I don't I don't even know if it's something that exists in any form today. I remember being in high school and getting picked on by the upperclassmen, and then eventually you find yourself doing it too. But I was never like violent to somebody, but there, you know, there were certain things that you would just, that was expected that you had to do to just kind of let them know like, Hey, you're not, you're not a baby anymore. That kind or of that thing. Or that you a place at the table. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it, a real thing. Do you did you have any um hazing stories from back when you were at Tattoo Lose that that uh you can share that aren't that horrifying? <laughs> All right, so real quick, um, before I even talk about that, these are I'm, I'm gonna tell one story, it's gonna sound so fucking outlandish that you're gonna say there's no way that happened. But when we were down there in October in Miami, we were at uh we were at Love Hate, we were uh, down there. My wife was getting tattooed, and then I was tattooing uh, some memorial tattoos on a friend. Anyway, a friend of ours passed away, whatever. But half the crew that was at Tattoos by Lou when I was there was at that shop. Me, actually more than half the crew, me, Ami, Emerson, Greg, and Darren uh, were all in that shop, and Donnie Lopez were all in the shop. And my wife said something about, yeah, I heard you guys treated him like shit. And I said, I deserved everything I got, which my friend Greg looked up and he got a huge smile on his face because I did. I deserved all of it because if I wanted that, if I wanted to be a part of that, if I want to be a part of tattooing, but especially if I wanted to be a part of that crew, I had to earn my place at the table. So Darren says to my wife, actually said out loud, we tried to get him to quit every single day, but he never would. Man. And uh, there was one incident where they, the guy that came before me, they made him not only quit, but he quit in the middle of his shift and left all of his equipment there. Wow. So he never came back. <laughs> so, yeah. So funny story. Real funny story. The names are changed because it uh, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm standing at the tattoo shop. Something was said. I got mad because of the way that things had happened. And my job was to clean the tattoo shop at that, at that point. So um, I was cleaning shops and things were left on the counter. They weren't supposed to be left there. So I threw everything away. The things that were left on the counter, just, you know, bottles, disposables, things like that. So I threw them all in the trash. What I didn't know is that the shop did not purchase those. The tattooist had purchased those. Oh. And, uh, he said to me, don't you ever forget it's us against them. And I didn't realize that that was the thing. I thought we just all worked there. So later on that evening, I said, what did you mean it's us against them? And he told me what he meant. And uh, I never forgot it. So essentially, when I was cleaning, everybody started leaving their things out. So I would have to put them in the drawer neatly. Basically saying, we dare you to throw it away again. Yeah. And it taught me a valuable lesson. It taught me a lesson about... Not only cohesion within the studio, but knowing your place. Because it wasn't my place to make that decision to throw something away. It was my place to clean. And it wasn't my place to try and tell a tattooist what to do because I was not a tattooist. So if I wanted to be a tattooist, you have to earn your place at the table. So it's my job to go behind the tattooist to make sure that the business owner doesn't have a problem with them. And when I said something to the owner, the owner said to me, why did you throw it away? Why didn't you put it in the drawer? Hmm. Like, oh. So that was just a little bit of perspective. Now, as far as hazing goes, a very certain tattooist told me one night he was going to beat the bricks off of me. He's the exact quote. Beat the bricks off of you. If you ever do that again, I'm going to beat the bricks off of you. And I got that shot of adrenaline. Oh, my God. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? I hadn't done anything. It was just said to see what I would do. So my exact words to this tattooist were, you might kill me, but you will meet St. Peter with a limp. <laughs> and everything got real quiet. 
<laughs> and this person smiled. He's like, okay. He turns around, he walks away. And I turned around, I looked over at another person. I was like, what the fuck? And he's like, you almost got killed. And I didn't realize that I was just being fucked with. But my reaction, a little over the top. But it could have been a lot worse. I could have folded and run away and all that stuff. But I wasn't about to do that because no matter what, I was going to be a tattooist, hell or high water. Now, there's a lot of other things that happened that are cruel. And I would never do to somebody. But it didn't kill me. And if anything, it gave me, again, perspective about how I treat people and why I treat people the way they do. Like with my apprentice, I say, I will never ask you to do something for my amusement, and I will never ask you to do something that I have not done myself. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it, I, I would imagine trying to weed out the people who are not going to serve the craft is definitely part of your job as, as a mentor. Because if if you get enough people out there who are giving the art of or the craft of tattooing a bad name, yeah, it affects you. It reflects right back on you. If you, if somebody comes out of your shop that you mentored and they are a piece of shit, I, there's there's a reason. I imagine you can explain this uh, why it's called Holy City Tattooing Collective. Okay, not just Holy City Tattoo because you. It seems like you're fostering more than just a shop. So the whole collective uh, thing, there's, there's a couple of different definitions for collective. And for me, collective is simple. It's a group of like-minded individuals with a common goal. So with the name of the shop, it's pretty simple. I am a tattoo snob and I'm actually quoting uh, another local shop owner who decided to try and um, disparage uh, my name by saying that. Um, what they didn't expect was me to go, thank you for noticing. Um, <laughs> I absolutely am in love with tattooing. I think that tattoos should be everything that they can be and more. Uh, I also think that we get uh, the tattoos that we deserve, meaning that if you don't do your due diligence and seek out the best tattoo that you can you know, find, not even afford, that you can find, then you get the tattoo you deserve. If you cheap out on a tattoo, twenty years later, yeah, you've got a shitty. Yeah, you know, and the the same thing holds true with cars. The reason I drive a Toyota because I don't want a car to have to, you know, I don't have to buy a car every three years. And uh, I see people with bad tattoos, and inevitably, if it comes up in conversation, the the phrase "I didn't know any better" comes up, and you know what? You just owned it. And that's the person that I want to help out. That's the person like, you know what? Give me a call. See if we can fix that. Or I'll refer them to a laser person and go from there. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what, it, it's one of those things for people who don't have um, visible tattoos that are visible pretty much all the time, say on your forearms or something like that. Uh, if I go through a day without getting a comment on my tattoos, it means I didn't go out of my house. Like it's, it's borderline. Um, I wouldn't say annoying because I'm proud of the the work that I have, and and almost all of it came through your shop. But you go everywhere you go, people will have a comment to say. Um, most of the time, it's like, where did you get that done? So, it, but a lot of times, it, it, you you have this reminder on your 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 body. You have this kind of 
billboard for the work that you've got. And now, can you imagine if it was terrible? You probably, <laughs> nobody would say anything, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky enough that I did seek out um, what I feel is, is, is the perfect tattoo shop for me. You know, and I've sent my whole family there that's old enough to get tattoos. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. My son, my son's, my, I don't know. My son might never get a tattoo. He doesn't seem like he's interested in anything of that sort. He's in a. Probably he, not. Yeah. He's in a different, he, he's on a different wavelength. Um, but my daughter, yeah, she, she, she's gotten a couple of tattoos there. Uh, my wife has gotten a few tattoos there. It, it's definitely, I, I like the idea of, of being able to say with pride, oh, Holy City Tattooing Collective. You want the address? You want the phone number? <laughs> And the, and my favorite answer is is to oh which which artist did you go to and I said any of them oh, yeah any of them like there there's uh, this one was done by this person this one was done by that person like it's it's but but I have no problem in just saying any of them because there's no way that anybody that's working in there is going to suck it's just impossible it's not going to happen you know it's funny you bring that up I had a uh... I had a phone consultation, or excuse me, uh, an iCloud consultation, uh, FaceTime consultation with uh, somebody uh, a couple months ago because we're doing everything virtually now. Mm-hmm. And they wanted a moth. And they sent me reference photos of moths that they liked and everything. And they sent one tattoo photo. <laughs> and I completely spaced and forgot to tell, you know, call you and tell you about this. But, uh, it's like this one. I love this one. It's probably my favorite one I've ever seen. I hope I don't, uh, it's something effective. I, I hope it doesn't uh, offend you that I'm showing you somebody else's tattoo, but cause I tell people, try not to send me photos of tattoos. And, uh, but I, I'm absolutely in love with this tattoo. And I messaged them back. I was like, well, it's a good thing I did that tattoo. So, and, uh, it made me think when you put, uh, your, uh, chest to tattoo on Reddit and, uh, and it's just one of those uh, just one of those moments where you look at the tattoo, and I know how much joy it brought you to get it, and I don't mean to feel it, but I mean to actually have it, because <laughs> I know you're getting it. But uh, but what other people had to say, because even the comments that were you know tongue in cheek were hilarious, and every now and then I forget that it is only about the person getting the tattoo. But sometimes it's really nice to see that other people not only like it, but are willing to say how much they like it. Man, I was in your shop one day. Um, I want to say, I want to say it was when I got my probably my latest, my most recent tattoo. And I'm sitting in the waiting room, and there's a guy sitting next to me, and he's staring at me. And uh, this isn't the first time this has happened, um, but the guy's looking at me, and he goes that's the tattoo. And he looks down at my leg to, to a portrait that tat, that uh, Margo did on my leg. Yeah. And I said, oh yeah, yeah. And I showed it to him and he's like, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I want to get the same tattoo. And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> that's awkward. How, what are the chances? <laughs> but yeah, that, it, it's definitely one of those things where I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> like, okay. I, I didn't know, even know how to handle that. I was like, 
you need to talk to Margo about that because <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's something she's gonna do. But I've had enough people. Um, it, it's actually strange. I've had enough people bring in reference of my own work, especially my Japanese stuff, to where I feel fine when they do that because I know that the expectations they have will be met. Or if they bring in a photo of a tattoo and I know the person that did it, you know, I can look at the tattoo and be like, oh yeah, so and so did that. Yeah, that's cool. And, well, somebody brought in a photo of a, a tattoo that was done by Horitomo, and I was there when he was working on it at, a, at one point. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was there when that tattoo was getting worked on. It gives me a better idea about what you want to do, just so you know I don't copy tattoos. And the guy says, well, uh, this is the tattoo I want. I was like, no, you're missing something. Not only do I not copy tattoos, I don't copy tattoos that were done by people who I know. Yeah. And it, at that point, it was like, oh... I'm the asshole. It's like, yeah, you probably are the asshole. But I explained it to him in great detail. That tattoo was drawn specifically for somebody. I can do something along the lines of, but it's not going to be identical to it. And I even told him, unless it's something that I'm reproducing, like a portrait or a painting, you'll never get me to copy someone's tattoo. So it's funny that you bring that up, and that is definitely uh, well. It, it's one thing to if someone's asking for a flash. Well, of course, that's what it's meant right. for. Um, but people have this weird thing where they don't want to ever walk into a tattoo shop and pick something off the wall. Like but it, they'll hook their fucking phone up with Pinterest wide ass open. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, wait, you understand that that flash is designed to be reproduced. And it, it doesn't like the tattoo artist is going to get excited if you want to pick a flash that they put up on the wall because they put it up there because they want to tattoo it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. Uh, you must spend, uh, and I've seen this, uh, and anyone who spends more than once in a, um, a tattoo shop, hopefully will experience this as well. The amount of education that you have to provide to your clients to, you know, on a daily basis, the thing, a lot of things we're talking about now, um, things about placement and what's possible, what's not possible, uh, the ethics. How how do you handle that? Because it, it it's got to be extreme. I know some people will, without knowing you better, might be like that guy's being rude. But meanwhile, you're you're like saving their butt. You're you're helping that person with whether they know it or not. How do you handle that on a daily basis? Um, you appreciate the fact that you're given that responsibility and that opportunity. Yeah, because it's it's definitely a, a thing that's easily misread by someone who's not paying attention as you being mean well when you say no look, and i'm like no that <laughs> you you and i both know that i have a reputation of being rather uh rather a straight shooter and rather blunt mm -hmm. however i would rather someone say that i told them the truth and was forthright than fucked them over took their money and gave them a bad tattoo even if it means they went somewhere else and they got a bad tattoo because they didn't listen I don't give a fuck about someone's feelings when the reality is your feelings mean nothing when it comes down to fact. Yeah. And if you want a tattoo that I know is a bad idea and I know it's going to fail because we've seen it over the years, if you tell me I'm wrong and you go find somebody, the only thing I ask is that you come back to me to get it covered up because I told you so. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely an interesting thing because it goes back to, the idea of you get the tattoo you deserve. If someone comes to you and you tell them all the reasons why it's a bad idea and they go and get it done somewhere else, well, guess what? 
you just got what you deserve. Yeah. There's an awesome explanation as to why. <laughs> One of the yep. reasons why you get the uh, the tattoo you deserve. All right, man. Um, I do want to get into the history of opening your own tattoo shop because I, I do want to kind of get from, okay, you're in, you're in Miami. You become a full-fledged tattoo artist, I imagine, while you're still in Miami. And you're... Nope. No? Nope. Oh, where did you, uh, for lack of a better term, graduate into actual tattooing? All right. So everything's perking right along. Everybody's showing me how to do stuff. I'm managing the shop, keeping it clean, doing piercings, making sure everything's going hunky-dory, and then, boop, blue dies. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, and everything kind of went sideways. Uh, Michelle, his daughter, uh, took over the companies and her husband. It was very tense time. Things were very strange, and it got to be a little overwhelming. So in September, October, November, three months after Lou died, I left. He died August. Sorry, I left in, uh, in uh, November. I left. Moved back to South Carolina. Um, everybody in Miami was like, what the fuck are you doing? Why did you go? And I was like, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. It's a blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. So I moved back to South Carolina, opened a piercing shop. Everybody told me the tattooing wasn't a real job, everybody being family. So I believed them and I got a real job. I became an EMT and then I destroyed my back. And in 1999, on the advice of everyone I knew, mostly in Florida, I started tattooing out of my house in Charleston. Wow. They're like, you know what you're doing, what we were teaching you to do, fucking do it. So I did. Had my back surgery in June of 99. By September, October of 99, I'd moved back to, or I moved out, moved away to North Carolina. And uh, that was it. So about a wow. two and a half year hiatus. Um, nope, 97. Yeah, about a two year hiatus from tattooing. And uh, just short of two years, uh, opened a piercing shop briefly, became an EMT, um, hurt my back, and went right back to tattooing and never looked back. So, uh, Holy City Tattooing Collective wasn't your first attempt at running. No, I had a uh, is that correct? A shop. I mean, this doesn't sound different, but I had a shop called Holy City Tattoo uh, before it was called Tattooing Collective, and I had a, a business partner, and it was just it didn't work out well. And uh, first of all, I didn't know what I was doing as far as being a shop owner. I've been tattooing for years at that point, but your first shop is always going to be. Uh, a learning there's always gonna be a learning curve and uh i made a lot of mistakes uh primarily trusting a non-tattooist to be my business partner was the biggest mistake i ever made because i knew what i was doing uh as a tattooist because i'd been trained to run a shop um but i believed someone else and thought that they knew better because they were in business and turns out they were wrong and i was wrong for trusting them and luckily came out unscathed and uh the second incarnation of the shop which is holy city tattooing collective has uh has been more what I wanted it to be. Again, there was there was a learning curve. There were some people that I wanted uh, to fit but didn't. And uh, I've I've been lucky. I've right. only had to fire three people in uh in almost fifteen years. Yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, a personality a, a battle to to find somebody who works in that in tattooing because it's still a creative field and a craft, yeah. but you're going to have all of the things that entail the tortured mind of a creative person and finding someone who has the responsibilities on top of the talent and the, and the skill is, uh, yeah, that's where you start 
well, it starts becoming difficult. Tattooing is, uh, has imagine. always been uh, very much a hedonistic uh, world. I mean, people, they, they tend to go their entire careers, a lot of them without paying taxes, or they don't think about things like the future. Uh, every every night's a party. It's it's very much hand-to-mouth because saving money isn't, you know, taught responsibilities and taught fiscal responsibilities and taught. So you end up with uh, a large uh, group of people who just kind of spin, spin, spin the drain. Yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I I can't imagine trying to keep all of these and, and, and it, it means nothing of their abilities as far as the craft, the skill, the artistic abilities when someone can't figure out how to, (laughs) how to adult, (laughs) but it affects you as a business owner. Now you have to put on your business owner hat and be like, listen, uh, the fact that you're not able to keep your shit together and then it starts affecting their ability to be responsible and not showing up to appointments on time or, um, or worse, you know, you can just think of how the shit rolls down as far as people getting into drugs or alcohol or, or other things that even video game addiction these days where things where they're just not being responsible to, to what they're doing. And, you know, then it brings down everybody in the shop and yeah, that, that, that's a tough road that you have chosen to be a shop owner as well as a tattooist. Yeah. Do you, do you, uh, is there anything that kind of, where you knew you had to do this, was there a reason why you said, I'm going to, this is going to suck and I'm going to do it as far as taking on all of that responsibility. Well, as far as running the shop? Yeah. Yeah. What was the, in other words, what made you decide I have, have to not only become a tattoo artist, but I need to own my own shop. Uh, There was absolutely no way that I could work for someone else um, ever again. Primarily because I'd uh, I'd run my course. I'd figured out who I wanted to be as a business owner. Of course, it would take some polishing, but I was tired of uh, I was tired of dealing with pieces of shit as far as shop owners <laughs> that used the shop like an ATM or only cared what the bottom line was or didn't give a fuck about tattooing or worse, didn't tattoo or just you know every. Every little thing that I just didn't like about the people I worked for, it came to a head. And luckily, mm-hmm. I had kept equal track of the things that I did want to be as a business owner that I had learned from the people who I admired that I worked for, people that I had learned from that I'd worked for, or more importantly, people that I still wanted to work for. It was that moment of, okay, it's time to go out on my own. It's time to finally do this, and I know I can do it. The problem comes in with the fact that I uh, huh, I involved the wrong person in my dream, and in doing so, right. jeopardized my dream. So when the time came to part with that person, I had already mentally checked out. I was like, fuck this guy. I'm done. So when it came down to legal brass tacks, it was easy to get everything uh, squared away and move on for me. The moment you realize that you're ready to open your own shop, you're ready. And I, I don't mean that in the sense of just in tattooing. I mean that no matter what you do, 
when you're at that point where your brain says, we have to do this on our own. You can't work for somebody anymore. Yeah. You just, you can't. And if, if somebody thinks that they can continue doing a nine to five uh, in a job or a trade when they're at the point where they want to do it on their own, if they think they can continue working for somebody, you're delusional. Because the only thing you're going to do is be less productive. You're going to be less effective as a tradesperson or as a salesperson or whatever you're doing. And you're going to become bitter. And it ends poorly. And there, there's a reason why people are entrepreneurs. Yeah. There's a reason why people go out on their own. There's a reason why people work for a major corporation because they went out on their own and it wasn't for them. But they know. There's no question. They did it. So to segue into something else, I had a business mentor years ago who said there's two kinds of people. People who can do it and people who haven't figured out how to do it yet. And there's, there's no in-between. Yeah. Because you either know how to do something or you just haven't had that aha moment of this is how I'm going to do it. And it could be something as simple as how to become a better employee. It could be something as simple as how to start a company that will become a Fortune 500. It all starts with that aha moment. And some people, it might be, hey, I figured out how to do the least amount of work and get paid the most and just go home and smoke pot and watch TV until the day I die. Don't you wish, though, as a business owner... You could go back and work for somebody because you know exactly what would make that other person so happy. You Are know, you I was Just, the employee of the fucking year, day after day. Exactly. You're like, man, I know how uh, how easy it would be to be a good employee. You know, all all of those little things. <laughs> you show up, do your fucking job, and go home. Oh yeah, and do the things you're supposed to do on time. Yeah, it's not too much That's to it. ask. It's really not too much to ask. And I find it uh, disheartening how many people don't seem to understand how simple their life could be if they just took advantage of the opportunity uh, handed to them and took advantage of it and just worked and left, left work at work. And when they're at work, left home at home. And I tell people as much as possible, this is your break from your real life bullshit. Please don't bring it here. Yeah. And it's, infinitely easier to say than for some people to just do. Well, I think it also goes back to when you said, you know, something that you, you fear that maybe the younger generation might lack is the fear of failure. But if you don't, if you're not getting into something like running a business without a, a, uh, the idea that it could fail and that if it does fail and then you just quit, you know, that's a lesson you have to learn. Like, hey, if this doesn't work, I need to know what to do to pivot to to continue because you don't have a safety net. This is this is your job. <laughs> All right, so here's a fun one for you. When I was starting my first company, even when I started the second one, I never once said, what do I do if this doesn't work? It never even entered my mind because to me, I am my product. So it was like, I'm just going to tattoo. Nothing's going to stop that. I'm just going to tattoo. So if my shop goes away, I'm still just going to tattoo. I might do it in a different capacity. I may have to go work at someone else's shop for a while. I don't know. I may rent a you know, uh, cheap little office space and do it privately. Who knows? But the only thing I know is I will continue to tattoo. Yeah. So with, with the younger generation, I've actually seen a few people stop tattooing because it's too hard to keep up. There's too many people tattooing. They're not making thousands of dollars a week like they thought they would. And uh, to a great degree, there are people out there who are way better than they are. 
And it's hard. It's hard on them because they were never taught to embrace failure. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't get that uh, again with the knowing what it takes to be a good employee in something. Mm-hmm. If you, if as a business owner, you have an employee, you would much rather have the mediocre, talented person. And I don't see mediocre, talented in in the sense of tattooing, but just the person who is like good enough at what they do. That's a rock star at being a good employee. Shows up on time does his paperwork, does all the things he's supposed to do. You'd rather have that guy any day than the superstar, amazing 10 out of 10 at what he does. But being an employee, he shows up late, never does his paperwork, uh, is a dick to everybody. Um, You know, you're like, fuck that guy. You want the guy who's a good employee. I can teach how to become a better tattooist. I can't teach character. Well, yeah, and it, it's a very, it's a very, very, very misunderstood thing when you look at the playing field. Going, whatever you're doing, you want to become a photographer. Well, there's a million photographers, and they're so much better than me. Why would I do that? You could say that about anything. There's a million basketball players. Why would I want to? It, it, the chances of playing basketball, blah blah blah, whatever it is. And if that's the thought that comes into your head, you've already lost. You've already failed. Yeah. Like you can't do it because you want to be better than somebody else. You want to do it because that's you have to. <laughs> it's, no, that's, that's your life. There are a few things in this world that I can imagine myself doing for a career. Obviously, tattooing. The other one was being an EMT, and that didn't work out because I, you know, hurt my back. Obviously. Yeah, there ain't a whole lot after that because I've dedicated. Most of my life, not even my adult life at this point, most of my life to tattooing. So I'm, I'm what we refer to as fucked. If tattooing <laughs> becomes illegal, I'm kind of fucked. It's something that might happen nowadays. <laughs> well, yeah, you never really can tell, especially with uh, the political climate that we've got. Who knows? You might say, oh, it's illegal because of public health and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you never know. But, uh, it's strange when you have a trade that you've applied for years and years and years versus something you went to school for that you can just, you know, now obviously do from home. I rely on people coming to me who want to look in the mirror and like what they see. I unfortunately am also at the mercy of politicians, bias, and zoning. So there's that other side to tattooing that we didn't even get to talk about, which is the dark side that you have to contend with, like the government. It's a shitty feeling knowing that there are people out there that would be happy if you just went away. That's a weird thing because in one turn, like, yeah, a tattoo shop is not going to be deemed essential in a pandemic. No. No. So the battle that you guys had to fight just to be able to to survive during this is, it's almost like, oh, how do you even win that battle? Somehow you guys figured it out. That goes back to what we were talking about with uh, tattooists who don't look at the big picture, don't live life uh, an adult way. I was taught from the beginning, it's chicken today and feathers tomorrow. You know, tattooing is not a stable paycheck. If you don't prepare for the lean times in times of plenty, you're in trouble. Yeah. That's why you usually find uh, tattooists where... The tattooist is married to a person who's got a straight job because that's where the benefits are. That's where the uh, the verifiable income is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when we were buying our house, even though I made four times what my wife made, she had a corporate job 
and she had you know, 401k, et cetera, and so forth, things that they wanted to see. They don't want to see how much money you make. They want to see how much money you can make guaranteed. Right. They want uh, to see the, the evidence of a history of like, okay, they know how much of the money you got. Yeah, it's like, how much can we wrangle this person in and make sure that they make those payments? Because you know, the banks don't want to have to sell your house. Banks want you to buy the house from them. You know, and that, that's why I'm trying to explain to people when you buy a house, you're not buying a house from someone. You're having the bank buy the house and then you're buying the house from the bank. Oh, yeah. And the, the look of what? Like when someone says, they offered me a variable rate mortgage at 5%. No. And you, <laughs> and you say, really, how long is that arm? <laughs> yeah. And in their mind, you're picturing, you know, you, you know exactly what they're picturing. What do you mean the arm? There's an arm on there and they're picturing a long arm. No. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's an uphill battle to to get creative people to, like I said before, adult to to be, and you could say that with any of the creative professions, um, the gig economy that we live yeah. in now is forcing people to hopefully take a look at all of those things you just mentioned, how to how to start saving and preparing and understand that, like, hey, this might be great today, but tomorrow tattooing might become just out of style, which it's not yep. going to happen, but you know what I mean? Um, I do. It could fall out of style as far as, as like you said, the government could come down and say, this is a health problem. We don't want this anymore. Um, yeah. Or we could get taken over by some sort of dictatorship that d doesn't like tattoos. Uh, that's uh, real. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the real threat. Um, <laughs> So any of those types of things can go away. Uh, you, you just imagine anything you do as a creative person, you have to, you have to learn. I, I wish they would teach more business classes in high school. They I, used to, we were there. Yeah. I, I didn't get any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> just, just how interest works would be a fantastic thing for people to learn. But it's not an exciting thing for us to delve into right now, um, given a lot of amazing information. Whether you know it or not, oh, you there's still another part two. You and I definitely have a part two coming. Oh, uh, we need to do it in person at one time when we can both kind of figure out our schedules. Uh, so, Holy City Tattooing Collective is the shop. Yep. It's also the website is holycitytattoo.com. You still own that one. Yep. And then there's uh, Holy City Tattooing Collective on Instagram and Jason Eisenberg 73 if you want to follow tattoos and pictures of little smush faced dogs. Nice. I'll link it all up in the show notes. And if you do need a, a tattoo or you know somebody who wants to get a tattoo and you're in the area of Charleston or you're not in the area and you want to just come to Charleston and get a tattoo, which is a good plan if you ask me, <laughs> you know, hit up the Holy City Tattooing Collective and like I said before, I'm not lying. Any of the artists well, in there. And, and well, one thing I, I like to add that's not tattoo related. Um, if you decide you want to do something in your life and people that supposedly love you and care about you and want to support you tell you it's a bad idea, chances are they think it's a bad idea because they failed at something you didn't, not yet at least. So I encourage people to fail as much as possible until you succeed. That's awesome. I'm going to leave it at that, man. And other than that, listen to punk rock, top 40 sucks, drink kombucha, and don't smoke cigarettes. <laughs> or vape, apparently, uh, now, too. No, don't do that either. <laughs> I started drinking non-alcoholic beer yeah, the other like day. 
<laughs> and I was like, I, I said to my wife, I'm like, this is like kind of like vaping for alcoholics. Yeah, I just kombucha because it's awesome and it makes me feel like I'm actually doing something. <laughs> That's funny. All right, man. All right, dude. Take it easy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. Bye.